0: Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 26 and verses 1 through 13. Uh, Today we begin a new message series on the final chapters of Matthew. By the way, did you know that it was about 10 years ago uh, we started our series through the Gospel of Matthew? Now, we've taken lots of breaks in between and done topical series and other messages, but each year we've come back to a portion of Matthew... And uh, and now uh, we're going to be finishing it off as we uh, go through the final chapters, 26 through 28. And uh, this series is called Lead Me to the Cross. This series is going to lead us up to and then through uh, the season of Lent. Uh, That season of Lent is still a number of weeks away. And uh, we know that Lent is a time where we especially focus on Christ and the cross. And the events leading up to Good Friday And as we'll see, even today, uh, the cross was not a surprise for Jesus. Jesus went willingly to the cross. Jesus allowed the Father to lead him to the cross where he would die for our sins. My prayer for us is that as we follow Jesus' path to the cross uh, through these closing chapters of Matthew, uh, that this would become the cry of your heart heart also, Lord, lead me to the cross. Lead me to the cross where my Savior died, that I also may take up my cross and follow you. So our journey begins in Matthew 26. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 in the course of the message. But let me just read the first five verses as we begin. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Father in heaven, as we uh, uh, open your word and look into uh, these uh, verses, this passage that uh, really begins us now on our final journey to the cross with Christ. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear your word, you would open our hearts to understand, and uh, Lord, you would open our wills uh, to follow and obey. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Thank you, please be seated. As we enter these final chapters of Matthew, in many ways we stand on holy ground. These chapters tell us the final events leading up to the cross of Christ, and the week approaching Christ's death and resurrection is the most important week in all of human history. Matthew begins his narrative of the passion with an anointing, an extravagant act of love by someone who understood that Christ's death was near. And the setting for this beautiful act of love is Jesus' prediction of his death that we've just read about in verses 1 through 5. This is the setting uh, for all that is going to proceed. And So let's begin now. Let's uh, look at those verses a little more closely. Verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And here in verse 1, Matthew alerts us uh, that Jesus' public teaching ministry has now come to an end. And Jesus now turns his attention fully to the cross. The Passover is only two days away. The disciples know that the feast is near, but what they don't understand is that the true, Passover is coming. What they don't understand is that the fulfillment of all the Passovers that were ever celebrated over all the years is now only two days away. Why? Because Jesus, the Passover lamb, is about to be sacrificed. This is now the fourth time, okay, Four times Jesus has told his disciples that he is going to suffer and die in Jerusalem. But this is the first time that he now gives them a specific time frame. And with his statement, Jesus shows his willingness to submit to the Father and going to his death. He embraces God's plan for his life. In effect, he tells the Father, lead me to the cross. Notice that Jesus refers to himself here as the Son of Man. We've seen this a number of times in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. This was a messianic title from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, where one like a son of man enters God's presence, and that person is given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and then all people, nations, and men of every language come and worship him And he is given an everlasting kingdom. Jesus has emphasized it over and over again. He is that son of man. He is sovereign. He is in full control over all that will take place in the next few days. And yes, he will be handed over to be crucified, but the scripture tells us no one takes his life from him. Rather, he gives his life willingly. The road to glory runs straight through the cross and Jesus does not waver. Father, lead me to the cross. And then in verses three through five, the the religious leaders, we see they meet to plot against Jesus. uh, uh, Beginning at verse three, then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, not during the feast, or there may be a riot among the people. There are echoes of an Old Testament passage here, Psalm 2 in the Old Testament, uh, where we read how the rulers gathered together and conspire against the Lord and his anointed one. But notice here in Matthew that the leaders do not assemble until after Jesus first announces it to his disciples. Do you see the order there? First Jesus announces his coming death to his disciples. He says, this is going to happen. Then the religious leaders gather. It's almost as though they are being given permission from Christ to proceed. Jesus will submit himself to these coming events, but make no mistake... Jesus is the one who is in charge. He knows that his hour has come. Father, lead me to the cross. And so the religious leaders, I mean, they want to arrest Jesus. They want to kill him, but they're afraid of the crowds. You've got to understand there were over 2 million people in Jerusalem at this time for the feast, most of them pilgrims from outside the city. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Earlier in the week, he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the praise and acclaim of the crowds. And so the religious leaders know they can't just march up to Jesus and arrest him. Or they may prompt a riot. They've got to be very careful how they do things, how they proceed. They need to be secretive about it. And so their plan, okay, their plan is to wait until after the feast, right? Is that what they said? We'll wait until after the feast. We'll wait until everybody goes home, right? Let's risk that way. Then we'll arrest him. But as it turns out, Judas will give them a perfect opportunity during the feast. And isn't that what Jesus said would happen? He said it would happen during the feast. Religiously, you say, our plan, we'll do it after the feast. Whose plan goes into effect? Jesus'. Is, Jesus said, nope, during the feast, exactly as Jesus foretold. And so this is the setting now for all that takes place in the next two chapters. Jesus predicts the time of his death, and he begins his final walk to the cross. And it is in the midst of this setting that Matthew shares with us about Mary's extravagant love for Christ. It's such a beautiful scene we're about to look at. And Matthew here, he's really flashing back to a scene uh, earlier in the week. Okay, this took place several days before. It was Saturday, the Saturday night before Palm Sunday. Jesus was in the town of Bethany where his friends Mary and Martha lived, along with their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus is having dinner Uh, when a woman comes and she anoints Jesus' head and body with a very expensive perfume. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me now. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. In the town of Bethany, this was Jesus' stopping grounds. Okay, this is where he often stayed. It was just a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know exactly who this Simon the leper was. He's only really mentioned here. Uh, he was most likely a former leper. He probably didn't have leprosy anymore. Probably someone Jesus had healed because Jesus was known for healing people with leprosy. We know from the other Gospels that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are also there. They're also there. This may even be their home. It's been suggested that perhaps Simon uh, is their father. In fact, if Jesus had healed, uh, if he was their father and Jesus had healed them from uh, leprosy earlier, that could have been how he got to meet Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus to begin with. It could account for his close relationship with the family. It's all guesswork. We don't know. Matthew does not even give us the name of the woman here, but if we go to the Gospel of John, John tells us that this is Mary. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And Matthew tells us that the the perfume that Mary used was was so expensive. Uh, The Gospel of Mark gives us more details, tells us that it was worth more than a year's wages. Take whatever you earn, uh, for this past year, 2022, add it up, go out and buy a, a jar of perfume, and then ask yourself, would I do what Mary did with that? Even the jar, the alabaster jar containing the perfume had great value. Uh, this was a long necked jar that had to be broken in order to pour out the perfume. It's interesting that the account of Judas's betrayal follows immediately after this account of Mary. Look at the contrast. Mary pours out this very expensive perfume. What does Judas do? He agrees to betray Jesus for a much smaller amount. 30 coins of silver. That was merely the cost of an injured slave. The anointing of the head with oil. This was reserved for the guest of honor. It was usually accompanied by the washing of feet. But instead of just common household oil, that's what you normally do, you just take some household oil and just sort of you know, dip some, some oil uh, on the person's head. She pours out the entire bottle on his head. And once again, this extravagant, this excessive act of love, it is in direct contrast to Judas and the temple priests. The temple priests, who will, will be told, carefully counted out the money the 30 coins for Judas. They wanted to make sure they didn't give one coin extra. So careful. Mary doesn't care. Mary, with reckless, careless abandon, pours out all the perfume on Jesus' head. She lets it run down his body. The Gospel of John tells us she also pours some on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. She anoints him. The word Christ, Messiah, actually means anointed one. That's what that word means. And so Mary anoints her Messiah with this extravagant act of love. Now, the disciples had a problem with this, okay? The disciples, Matthew tells us, they immediately objected to what Mary's done here. Look at verses 8 and 9. When the disciples saw this, they were in indignant why this waste they asked this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor the disciples they just watch in disbelief as mary pours out this expensive perfume on jesus's head and they are offended at the waste of money wouldn't it have been better to sell the perfume and, and and give the money to the poor You know, it is a reasonable objection because we know God does want us to take care of the poor. In fact, in the previous chapter, Matthew 25, um, Jesus even said that one of the primary ways we show our love for him is by taking care of the poor. So the disciples look at this expensive perfume running down Jesus' hair and feet and onto the floor, and all they can think is, What a waste. There will always be people who consider following Christ a waste. I remember my physics teacher in high school actually reprimanding me uh, when he learned that I was thinking of going into the ministry. And he actually told me, direct quote, he said, what a waste. I think of Bill Gates when he was asked in an interview about his views on God and the church. His response was very revealing. He said, well, just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. And in a similar way, the disciples object. Mary's pouring out of the perfume. They say it's a waste of money. But you know what? Jesus jumps right in there, and he defends her, and he defends her demonstration of love. Look at verses 10 through 13 now. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so Jesus defends Mary as having done a beautiful thing for him. What the disciples saw as a waste, Jesus saw as a beautiful thing demonstration of love. As far as helping the poor, he said, hey, there's always going to be time to help the poor. That's important. Do that, okay? But Jesus knows that his time is limited. And as important as helping the poor is to God, there was something even more important happening right here, right now at this very moment. The cross The cross was looming in the near future, and Jesus tells the disciples that this woman has anointed him with the perfume in order to prepare him for burial. In other words, Mary gets it, okay? The disciples still don't understand. Four times Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. They don't get it. They don't understand that he must die. Mary does. You go, how does Mary know? And the disciples don't. Remember, Mary spent time at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, learning from him. She knows what Jerusalem means for her Lord. She knows that this may be the last time that she sees Jesus. And so she gives him her best. She gives him her all. She breaks open that alabaster jar. She pours out all of the perfume on his head. She wipes his feet with her hair. She shows Jesus an extravagant love that leaves you breathless. And Jesus calls this a beautiful thing. And Jesus says, as a result, he says, what she's done today is going to be preached along with the gospel. Isn't that amazing? This is going to be preached along with the gospel throughout the whole world in her memory. And so Mary's anointing of Jesus serves both as an example and a memorial. It is a beautiful example to us of unfettered devotion to Christ. And it is a memorial to Mary for her loving devotion to Christ. And just as Jesus foretold, her story is still being told around the world. It's recorded for us in three out of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and John. Here we are halfway around the world. What are we doing? We're talking about Mary. We're talking about this as we share the Gospel. Jesus said that this story of Mary's extravagant love would be told along with the preaching of the Gospel. And this is really the key to the whole incident. The anointing is inseparable from the gospel because at the cross god showed his extravagant love for us 1 john 4:10 says this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and so this is love god sent his son when Mary showed her love for Christ, she gave her best. She gave her all. When God showed his love for us, he gave his best. He gave his all. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And not only did God send Jesus, but Jesus came willingly. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, he said, Passover two days away. The Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Jesus knew that the cross was coming. He could have turned back at any time. He could have walked the other way. But he didn't. Instead, he set the wheels in motion and he came willingly out of love for the Father and out of love for us. In effect, he prayed, Father, lead me. Lead me to the cross. And in God's amazing, astounding, extravagant love, Jesus' body was broken and his blood poured out for you, just as the alabaster jar was broken, and the perfume poured out, so jesus body was broken, and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, and as valuable as mary 's perfume was, okay, it was worth a lot of money, it cannot compare to the infinite value of the blood of Jesus, First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen says this. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Mary anointed Jesus' head, the head that would soon be bloodied and bruised, a crown of thorns pushed into the skull. We sing the hymn, O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor, assist me with thy grace. Mary anointed the sacred head of Jesus that was wounded for you and me. She anointed his body that was broken for you and me. She anointed his feet that were pierced for you and me. And as a result, Jesus said, hey, Mary's story is going to be shared along with the gospel. Mary's extravagant love for Christ would be shared right alongside the story of God's extravagant love for us. That brings us to our final point this morning, which is our extravagant love for God. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. In other words, God doesn't love us because we first loved him. We love God because he first loved us. And our love for God will always be in proportion to our understanding of his love for us. So let me ask you this morning, do you understand the price Jesus paid for you at the cross? Do you realize how much God loves you? Because if you do, then it will have a profound effect on your love For God, the gospel demands a response. God showed his extravagant love for us when he sent his son to die on the cross. God gave his best for us. Now we should give our best for him. And so I ask you this morning, what will you sacrifice for Christ? What will you pour out for him? Love and worship for Jesus are are far more important than anything else. Jesus said even more important than helping the poor, as important as that is. Jesus is the supremely valuable one who is worthy of all your worship. And so what is your alabaster jar of perfume this morning? What is most important or valuable in life to you? Is it your family, your children, your spouse, your career? Is it money, influence, approval, friends? Would you give it all away for Christ? Will you give it all to him? this morning. No sacrifice you make for Jesus will ever be too great. Mary showed her extravagant love for Christ when she broke open her alabaster jar. She poured out the perfume for Him. God showed His extravagant love for us when Jesus' body was broken and He poured out His lifeblood for our sins. And when we truly understand God's extravagant love for us, we will show our extravagant love for Him by bringing Him our best and pouring it out before Him in worship, in love, in service, and in praise. Frederick Bruner in his commentary in Matthew describes this passage in Matthew as a call to worship. I love that a call to worship as we approach the passion narrative that follows. He writes this, he says, It is a portal leading into the passion which says, The way to enter this holy ground is like this woman with a heart full of devotion. It is a call to worship. And so may this this passage be our call to worship as we enter this season leading up to Lent and Good Friday and Easter, and like Mary, may we enter this season with a heart full of devotion and praise for Jesus our Savior. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful passage. We thank you for Mary, Lord. What a beautiful heart she had. How much she learned just sitting at your feet, just listening and learning. Lord, we could have that privilege every day of sitting at your feet and listening and learning. You've given us your whole word. Mary didn't even have that. She had to wait for you to come to town. Lord, we can do this every day. And Lord, as we take that in, as we will just grow in our love for you. As we sacrifice for you, we will grow in our love for you. As we take all of the things that are most valuable to us and we give them to you and say, Lord, they're yours, they're yours. You can take care of them better than I can. I give it to you. Lord, we will grow in our love for you. God, you've done everything for us. You gave Jesus. You gave your only son. Jesus, you came willingly to die for us. Oh, may we return your love this morning and tomorrow and the next and every day and every week and every year of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.